and food and we are in my living room today i hope that this is a, a bit of a change for everybody because i wanted to take a break from food and talk about some of the other stuff that's my passions and one is like decorating at home and doing things my own way at home so i thought the best way to start with that would be to talk about silk flowers and flower arrangements um you know when i first learned how to do some of the stuff that you see here i was pretty intimidated by everything to be honest i was intimidated by the flowers i was intimidated by how to make an arrangement or a wreath or a centerpiece and i would see these gorgeous things uh and i couldn't figure out how to replicate that so i took some time and i and i learned and i took a couple classes and i think i have uh, enough knowledge here to share some of the things that i have learned some quick things obviously to hopefully get you over that hump of intimidation and get you into the store to buy your own synthetic flowers and maybe try some home arrangements for yourself, a centerpiece, or even better, making a spring wreath, something like that for outside of your front door, like my room. For, so I don't know if you can see elbows here too. Oh, come here. See, say hi. Okay, he says hi, I promise. So without, let, let's get started. So let's talk about what synthetic flowers actually are. Well, they're synthetic, which means that they're not real. They can be made from a variety of different things, silks, plastic, which, is a you know um, fabric blends, which is a blend of uh, fabrics and um, some other uh, stuff, stuff, dyes, so on and so forth. You also have paper, and then obviously styrofoam. I really like to work most with fabric uh, plants. I find sometimes that a silk flower, although they're absolutely stunning and gorgeous, can be very expensive, uh, and so. You know, your favorite store, your favorite big box fabric store, like, um, you know, the one that says, you know, the female's name and then the other one that's like the guy's name. Get it? Yeah. You can go there and they have these wonderful selection of, of fabric and, uh, fabric flowers. They'll have some silk flowers and other stuff to work with. I love these because I can save them and then take them out of the arrangement. I can mix and match them as I see fit for different seasons and I can reuse them, which is something that I absolutely love to do. I like the idea that when I get bored with an arrangement of being able to take it all apart, put it away, put something else in, change it with the season or a party, and it's great. So you may think to yourself, I have absolutely no idea about color, um, what will match in my room, what will match in my house, or what, how to make a, an arrangement that I think will you know, not clash. I have, a, I have a, well, I guess that thing called is a hack, and it's paint swatches, okay? So the first thing that I like to do is I will use the colors in my house. So yeah, I have a rug here. It's got reds and orange and greens and blues. And so I can pull out some of these colors, like the blue here, maybe the green and that yellow. And this will give me a palette that I can work with. 
You'll also notice that the corresponding colors in addition to the color that I'm trying to match. So I have a lighter and a darker, which will help me identify tones. And as long as I stay within this color tone when I'm at the flower store, I know that whatever I bring home in this color tone or this color tone or this color tone will match with everything in my home. Isn't that great? So I can go and I can say, all right, but I have such an eclectic group of colors in my house. I want to pull out, I want to, you know, pull out those blues or the pink maybe that's in that. So I will take this dark blue right here and another color, maybe that red here. And for more of a Christmas theme or something like that, I have the again, see? And once again, nothing will clash inside the house. So I'm telling you, paint swatches, you'll never go wrong. If you're a little too nervous about building and you have absolutely no idea what colors you want to use in a floral arrangement, what I would do is I would grab some paint swatches that would match the colors of your home, the walls, your trim, and the most predominant color in your pictures. So maybe if it's week one or two of those, pull those out for your home and then build your bouquet around that and then take those paint swatches to the, the store to where you're going to purchase those. And you'll, like I said, you'll never clash. Pretty easy, right? <laughs> so why do we want to have these flowers well one they're fun they don't die um you can as long as you take care of them they last for years they're so much fun to play with you can pose them you can uh as you get more advanced you can actually kind of like uh even build these up which we'll talk a little bit later but they're just they're a lot of fun so you can use these uh artificial flowers in just about anything from using a table centerpiece or something like so to a wonderful front bouquet, a large vase for the front hallway or the side tables, or maybe even a centerpiece for a side, uh, you know, a side table in a hallway. The ideas of these things are endless. And again, you're able to reuse these things. So you're not throwing this stuff away and then going out and buying new or buying these flowers that last a week or so, and then having to throw those away and then get more. You know what I mean? It's just, they're wonderful. Quality is different. You know, like I said, you get, what you pay for. So I would suggest, you know, trying to like find, you know, uh, your big box stores will have the best qualities. I would, I'd shy away from buying them online, to be honest. You kind of want to see these in person. And again, there's different. So let's talk what to do to make such arrangement. We're going to talk quick, all right? Because there's, honestly, there's about seven steps that you want to look for in a proper arrangement. You want to have your proportion, your scale, the emphasis, um, your rhythm, the balance, and then also kind of like a harmony. But I really want you to focus on four things, okay? Emphasis, harmony, proportion, and balance. So let's talk first with proportion. Proportion is going to be the total relation of the piece that you're making. So the proportion from the flowers all the way at the top to the bottom here. Scale would be the scale of the arrangement in proportion to your uh, container that you're putting it into. So for example, if I'm gonna build something out of here, like you know, on this, I want it to be about one and a half times the height, or I chose, as I often do, to take this arrangement out about one and a half times to the side. And that's a good rule of thumb, honestly, for anything, whether it be a small arrangement like so, or a larger one, just kind of, you know, keep that size one and a half times, make your round. Harmony and balance mean in relation to the color spectrum. So what colors am I using are the, to bring the eye to move in a focal point per direction? 
you know, so that harmony, the rhythm, um, movement, think of it that way. Your eye wants to dance around these. So I've got my blues that start here, the pink that wrap around that back to that burgundy, bringing it back down to the, the yellow and those pinks. Again, all of these colors are working together to kind of give you the idea of, at least for this piece, was kind of, you know, I picked everything at the spring farmer's market and brought it home and threw it into a piece. You know, another thing you really want to watch is emphasis. Emphasis is going to be that one piece that draws your eye to the vase or your uh, arrangement from the beginning. So obviously the emphasis here is right here. I've got this wonderful, gorgeous silk uh, um, something. <laughs> and, uh, I believe these are begonias, uh, maybe? And then I've got cherry blossoms that sit on my back. A nice striking color setup, backdrop of the green, you know, and I'm always making sure that I have a ratio of about three to five. So you'll notice that the colors that I'm bringing in or the pieces that I'm in are in stages of two or five. In this instance, the two is in relation to the two colors. So it is a lot easier than you might think to pull these things together. And as long as you follow the rule of thumb, of at least having the right, you know, picking two to three colors that you're putting into, making sure that you are following a equal ratio to the greens to your color setup, and then have fun. Bring your stuff around, look at what you like, put it together. If it doesn't look good, pull it out and do it again. Another really great thing about silk flowers is the fact that you can't really mess them up. So let's talk about how to build set arrangement. We're gonna do this real quick, right? So I'm gonna pull all this up. Oh, Mike, so we're going to start empty base. I always like to build from the outside in. Can you see? Let's see. So I'm always going to start with the pieces that I want on the outside, more often than not, my greens. So I'll take my green one here. And I'm going to take my other set of green on this other side here, kind of creating that kind of almost out. Don't worry if these fall around. Um, you know, in the old days when they were putting uh, silk arrangements or any arrangements, they would put a big styrofoam ball at the base of this. I absolutely hate using styrofoam, um, so I choose to build a bigger arrangement and thicker arrangement that will kind of hold up on its own. So don't fret, by the way, if it seems like these are laying a little too low when you're putting them in. You'll, that'll all balance out a little bit later. So next what I'm going to do is the pieces that I have that are going to be my strike points, also ones that are going to be kind of around that back. So I'm taking those che one cherry blossom here to the left, another cherry blossom here to the right. Notice my balance, greens, pinks, that. So now I've finished with the pink color, I wanna bring in my whites. So I'm gonna use that cherry blossom again effect for that back area, but this time I'm putting it right here in the middle, just like so. Now I'm gonna work with my blues. Have you figured out which one is my focal point yet? My emphasis flower? So as I work around, I'm building inwards from the outside. My greens on the outside, my, um, you know, my, then working on those larger kind of stick, if you're working like sticks or pieces like that, coming on the black. So now I'm taking this red cherry blossom, I'm gonna poke that right in between this white. It's always a good idea. You can take your pieces, and the nice thing, because each synthetic flower oftentimes has a little bit of a metal, uh, rod it that's been wrapped around in the plastic so they're a lot easier to mess with 
So I pull this around like that. I'm pulling this up because now as it's starting to be a little bit fuller, I'm able to pull these up, right? Now I'm going to work with my other white piece because my emphasis pieces are in, which are these bluebells right here. So I'll set that bluebell up here. And I'm going to tuck my white piece here right to the right so that the eye kind of naturally draws down from that white frond that you see right here to the white begonia. I'm going to put some pink over here as a contrast color to the opposite side of the pink. And you might think that all those pinks will clash, but they didn't clash because from my paint swatch, they're the same tone. So a little bit of blue here. My finishing pieces are the ones that I always do last. These are going to be those ones that are kind of just the fillers. Um, I learned a while ago that in a, in a good arrangement, you've got the thriller, the filler, and the um, thriller, the filler, and the spiller. Ah, the spiller idea is what flows down from the arrangement to kind of give it that flow. The thriller being that nice big piece that you have, and then the filler, the simple pieces that provide either a contrasting color or that. So see, Sim I mean, not hard at all. I had all of my colors that I knew all from the very beginning were going to work together, and I built an arrangement that I liked. I watched and made sure that my colors were on even on both sides. I've made sure that I have a nice contrasting color, and I have a nice white to bring the eye down to the emphasis point right here. Fun, right? Okay, so let's talk centerpieces really quick before we move into reads. When you have centerpieces and you're a little concerned about or confused or you just don't know what you want to set up, great idea. Make cutouts, okay? I take three by five cards and I cut them out in the designs and shapes of the ideas for my centerpiece and then I lay those on the table. It helps me map out exactly how much stuff I'm going to need and how big of a space I'm going to have to utilize for, uh, you know, that. And also making sure that I'm not getting too big or too crazy when I'm trying to build my idea. Genius. Also, make sure when you're doing your centerpieces that you don't make them too high. I don't know about you, but I'm about five foot six. So nothing is worse than sitting at a table like this. Not fun at all. Right? So I always suggest doing something low and simple. Keep your keep a nice low base like so, simple flowers on the inside, something slow and slow so that when I'm sitting at a table, I'm looking at the person across the way around and I'm not like this, because this, no bueno, okay? So we've talked about flowers. We know that now it's easy as pie to create a wonderful matching bouquet that's not gonna clash with my, uh, with my home or any of the paintings or anything like that that I have in the hall. We've learned that in order to do a really great base, all we really have to have is balance, which means keeping our colors on opposite sides with a nice single color right in the middle, some side colors and fillers. We've watched our proportions. We've made sure that we are about one and one and a half times the size of the base and we've gone around. And with this, like I said, you can do anything. It's so, so, easy you know as long as you watch your textures making sure that i'm putting the same kind of textures inside each additional piece you're good to go and your colors you cannot go wrong and besides the great thing is, is you just pull it out and try it again because they'll all match so moving on wreaths spring wreaths are so much fun especially with synthetic flowers because again you can reuse that wreath 
Maybe you'll want to change it up your uh, season after season. But again, it's not something that you're just tossing at the end of the at season and then going back out and buying yet another thing, right? Wreaths. I love a good grapevine wreath. You're going to need some tools. Actually, you should probably keep these tools for any time that you're working with these uh, flowers. And that's going to be a pair of wire cutters. You want to do some get some floral wire, just a soft, thin floral wire, and a glue gun. A glue gun is important for your uh, for the wreath, which again is super, super easy. I'm going to show you how fast you can make a wreath. Guess I'll do it right here like this. So I've got a pack of small flowers, uh, fake flowers that I just picked up at Joanne's. I'm going to say it, whatever. You know, these were actually buy two, get one free. Uh, so I got quite the deal on that, right? And you save so much more money. I'm telling a story, right? Just like I was doing with my other. I always like to start at one point here, work my way around so that I can kind of, the eye naturally has that rhythm to take it up, you know, and around the rim. So I'll start right here, like that. Again, I'm just watching my colors. I've already, you know, I'm using the same color system that I had before. Just pull that in. You'll see that I'm just pulling my, uh, these pieces in. It's so easy to create whatever you'd like. Just remember when you're making a wreath, if you're doing it for your door, make sure that the uh, width of your wreath is in proportion to the door. So basically, you don't necessarily want to shut the screen door on your wreath and then suddenly be picking up flowers at the end of the, you know, at the end of your, uh, at the bottom of your door. So I'm just pulling this up. Same rule of thumb as I had with my uh, wreaths uh, or my uh, bouquets. I'm just trying to create a simple balance. I've got two to three colors here that I'm working with. Just stuffing those in there like so. Something that you would go, and again, you can have as many flowers you want, man. I would, you know, I would deck this all the way out. But this right here, this, this wreath was $3.68. I picked up all of these flowers for less than eight, and I made this wreath just like this. And again, I mean, you can add as much or as little as you like, and it's something that is so uniquely to you. What you like, your colors, you're not stuck trying to, you know, find something that is, you know, what somebody else wants. It's what you want. And that is the great idea about things. So in closing on working with silk arrangements, who is hot in here? It's springtime. Uh, <laughs> we are talking about the wreaths. So we'll start back again with our uh, arrangements. Watch your proportion. Uh, watch your uh, proportion, your harmony, your rhythm, and your emphasis. Emphasis always being that focal point that draws your eye in a rhythm around the balance of your arrangement. Colors on both sides, you know, another single color right down in the middle. Always use your paint uh, swatches for uh, keeping track of making sure that your colors and stuff like that are good. So we are all done with this part of our show. We are going to break here for one minute while I move the camera set up to our uh, next set back into the kitchen, I guess, where maybe we belong. Uh, so take this moment to go ahead and look at some of the other shows that we offer uh, on iLogix Media Network. 
you know, before I even got started, I forgot to even thank them. I would be nothing without iLogic Media and the opportunity that they're giving me to really grow my show, to do the things that I like to learn and make mistakes. So please, please go on Facebook and or go on YouTube, subscribe to uh, iLogic Media, subscribe to my show, go to Facebook, like them. And then while we're at this one minute break, you can go, uh, please just look at some of the other uh, options that we show to offer. I cannot tell you how great, uh, what great content we that, that we all have to share. So give you, see you in just roughly one minute, okay? How awesome is that, right? We have a commercial. And we're loud. We're good? Okay, so we have quite a bit of an echo that we're dealing with right now. That's okay. Uh, all right, that's a little better. So welcome back to the second part of our show. You know what I mean? I wanna try all sorts of new things. I want to do new stuff. And I really like the idea of being able to try new stuff. So hopefully this works a little bit better. And one of the things that I really wanted to do that I talked about is working with things that I've never done before. So one of the things that I've never made before is a gnocchi. And I thought, what more fun? Usually I take the time to try these ahead of time, wore them out, and it's all fun. But I thought in this instance, I would just do it for the first time. So the first thing, only things that I will tell you that I did right off the bat is I have uh, boiled my mashed potato, or I'm sorry, I have baked my mashed potatoes for on 400 degrees for about 40 minutes to an hour. And then I've let those cool and then I have peeled them. The recipe that I'm using is a recipe from an, uh, the cookbook from 1986 of Betty Crocker. And so I have just kind of modified it to help with the, um, to, for being gluten-free. So I have my potatoes that are right here. Um, you'll see that they are, uh, they've been kind of mashed or whatever. So 
Let's start. I have a bit of an echo if there is. I apologize for that. Anyway, so I start with the potatoes. And the directions state that I need to, to strain said potatoes through what's called a potato seed. I looked up what a potato seed was. I didn't have one. The idea is that they want you to have as creamy of a mashed potato as uh, mixture as possible. So what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to take these mashed potatoes through a strainer. If you don't have a strainer at home, that's perfectly fine. You can kind of just push these through the strainer like so. Just mash them really well. So let's just say, this is why the grumpy bunny stuff doesn't work sometimes. So we're going to mash these up. What do we think of the flower arranging episode? Pretty, pretty cool, right? I think that's something that we'll try again. Told you guys from the very beginning that I wanted to make an episode that was a little more, that dealt more with just, not just food, <laughs> you know? It dealt with, you know, people living their lives, making a mistake, like not following the directions and then wasting time instead of just doing it the right the first time. So a couple of things that I will tell you about that I thought about while this episode uh, was doing with the gnocchi and I looked up you can use a uh, frozen potato. You know how you go and Tyson, um, sorry, Orida makes the mashed potatoes in a uh, in a bag. Just go ahead and use those if you want. Uh, the recipe that I'll pull out online also includes butter and salt. You don't need to add any butter or any salt to this. So. We're mashed those up here. I can see the need of why you'd want a potato strainer. That makes a lot of sense, but I don't have one. So now that I've had that chance, I'm going to take my potatoes and then I'm going to add a tablespoon, uh, two tablespoons of the um, of butter. I've left my butter out uh, so that it is literally room temperature and it's a little hot in here today. Uh, so it's actually a little less than room temperature, which is good. The directions say that it needs to be melted and then chilled. So I'm going to put that in there and I'm going to go ahead and add my salt. Adding two tablespoons of this, or I'm sorry, two, uh, a half a teaspoon of the kosher salt. Something tells me that, you know, you know, on a funny side story, did you know that every single chef on Top Chef has been kicked off? When they decided to make gnocchi for their for their uh, for their dish, and I have a feeling that's going to be my story too. <laughs> so we're going to pretend that that's all completely mixed up, and we're going to go ahead and add one cup of flour. You can use a white rice flour instead of a one-to-one gluten-free baking flour. If you do do something like that, you're going to want to add about a cup plus one tablespoon. And then make sure that you add some sort of xanthan gum to it as well. So it says no. Just remember, just like in making any kind of dough set, that uh, less is more. So I started basically with a half a cup, which I'm going to put in here. I'm going to work that into the dough. The recipe says that you need to, once you've added this, you're going to work this. Once it becomes pliable enough with the dough, you mix this inside the bowl 
until uh, it gets a consistency. You want the consistency of the dough before you leave it to be not all the way uh, set is what the recipe says. I will have the entire recipe uh, put on the website for a little bit later for you. So all this in here, I'm gonna go ahead and add the next portion that it calls for. Again, so this will, this will serve about six. I'm gonna pull that out. Now I'm gonna take a little bit of the flour so on my dough, pull it out here. And then I'm going to work and knead the dough until it's reached a firm but not dry consistency. The dough, uh, the recipe specifically states that when you are kneading the dough, keep some of the flour aside until the, you have kind of determined the wetness of the dough. That way you don't put too much um, flour in. So I'm kneading my dough. until I've got it all worked out. And I'm not making sure that I'm blending in all of the stuff in there, the salt. Now this recipe uh, doesn't use eggs, so it is vegetarian and it could be made vegan, uh, provided that you're using um, obviously a vegan appropriate uh, butter. So you'll see that my dough ball is beginning to form. It's not dry still, you know, but it's not holding together. I'm going to keep adding it because I don't, you want the dough to be damp, but you don't want this dough to be sticky. Okay. So you just kind of want to make sure that as you're mixing it in, less is more. It's always so much easier especially when you're working with things that are temperamental like this, to just go slow, you know, so add as little bit as you can so that you get that right. Cause you know, you just you can't add water to something like this. Remember the cookie episode where we added water? How did that turn out? Right? <laughs> so the dough for me is still just a little too sticky. I'm going to put just a little bit more flour here. You'll see I also back there, I have a nice big, large amount of water that I have getting ready to boil. Cauliflower gnocchi, oh my gosh, I wouldn't, I mean, I guess if it got my spouse to eat it, yeah. But I mean, maybe that'll be my next episode to make the powerful, uh, the cauliflower gnocchi and then see if he'll even eat it, right? Okay, so just a little bit more flour, I think. So all in all, for this recipe, I did nearly use the entire cup of flour. I have just a little bit, maybe a tablespoon or two left. So when you're using two pounds of potato, two tablespoons of butter, half a teaspoon of kosher salt, you're gonna use nearly one cup of flour, but I would only put three quarters of that cup in ahead of time and then work the dough and then add it after that. So here we go. So I've taken this thing in the ball. The instructions say, that you put it away for a little bit uh, and let it sit. We're not going to do that. I know, right? So we are going to take as next it says, take a handful of dough, work that in your hand a little bit to kind of work out a lot of the seams or cracks or anything like that. Then on a floured surface, 
we're going to roll the dough until we've got a nice about the size of I would say depending on who you are uh, your index finger this one thing on your index finger so I rolled this out um, and then I'm going to let it sit for a little bit while I do the next one the, the instructions specifically say to let it sit so I would suggest that we let it sit they actually make these little gnocchi things that uh, so I found out that you can get that tell you exactly the width and the height and the length and they even have these little divot things to make sure that you have the perfect little gnocchi things I was told that I had to successfully make gnocchi before I was allowed to venture to that next set so uh, one of the doughs that are one of the instructions specifically stated when it comes to the gnocchi uh, rolls out that you don't want to have any cracks and that I've let it sit for just a few minutes okay you know I wouldn't necessarily use an almond flour um, I would stick to a white rice flour rather than an almond flour I, I'm not quite I'm not as familiar with the baking qualities of making a pasta with that so you might want to work a little bit with that. I know that there's some stuff that does come with an almond based on it, but I would probably use a white rice flour. So the instructions then say with a sharp knife to cut one inch pieces here quickly. I swear Martha Stewart does these so much easier. Right. So I've taken these one, these uh, I've made about one inch strips or whatever. And then it said to use the back tines of a fork in order to uh, get those indentions. So we're going to go here and we're going to press down in. I don't really see any indentions. That doesn't bode well for my gnocchi, does it? What if I just did it this way? Ah, ah cheating. You know, cheaters never win, but this works. I mean, they're not us. Okay, yeah. You know what? I definitely see why every single person on Top Chef went home trying to make their homemade gnocchi because mine looks homemade. <laughs> so I'm going to smash these like this. Although, honestly, if you're having trouble with your dose, I, I don't see any problem doing that. I mean, it's going to be covered in pasta and sauce later, right? So after you've cut those out like so, the instructions say that you want to put them in boiling water for about uh, three minutes, uh, lightly salted, so you can pull them up. The recipe also states that you should let them, uh, that you can put up to about 20 of these into, uh, into these at a time, depending on the size of that. So something about this size right here, I could probably put 25 or 30. They bake for about three minutes. They're going to sink to the bottom when they're not done, and then they will float to the top, kind of like dumplings when they are finished they will have um they'll have this hopefully a nice light crispy flavor um you want to make sure that the indentions on your gnocchi ha are have are, are somewhat defined if they're just kind of flat then there's nothing for the sauce to really grab onto when you're eating these later on so it'll kind of just look like a bowl of dumplings sitting in a pool of sauce versus kind of the sauce soaking into the dumplings themselves and pulling them around so those will boil for about three minutes. When they're done, they'll pull them out from the surface. You can pull them out with a strainer and then eat them with like a tomato sauce, a pomodoro. I'm actually going to have them a little bit later with a truffle alfredo with a little bit of pesto on top and then some sauteed pork belly 
all sorts of different things. So all in all, I would say for this recipe that I found uh, that I've modified to be for gluten-free, it's okay. It's spot on on its ingredients. So you definitely wanna make sure that you use the two tablespoons of butter. I like the butter at room temperature versus uh, melted followed by chilled. Um, the fork idea works really well. And I, you know, like I said, I think I got really good on the dough. So I don't, not a bad thing for not having made gnocchi before in my entire uh, life, right? Don't we think? So you have homework. I want you all to try to do something this week if you can. I want you to try to make gnocchi for someone or, or yourself, and then maybe try to make an arrangement. The next time you go to a fabric store, don't just wander away from that silk thing. You've had a little bit of an idea. Pick up some flowers, make a little thing. So on our next episode, we are going to actually make pierogies. I was going to try to have them in there for this week's episode, but I'm having a lot of trouble fine-tuning these pierogies uh, with the dough recipe that I want to use. Um, so I'm going to bring those to you in two weeks. And I think instead of that, we would be a whole dumpling episode. So we'll make everything from um, all, just all sorts of dumplings. We're going to make a, a gluten-free chicken and dumplings uh, casserole, and then we're going to make a chicken and dumpling soup. And pierogies and it'll be a lot of fun i you know i can't thank anybody everybody enough i'm gonna get the wrong camera i can't thank all of you enough for taking the time to watch my show i can't thank ilogic enough for being so awesome and making sure that they have absolutely everything that i need to be a success you know i'm new at this this is such a wonderful opportunity and a new venture and i just absolutely appreciate everything that they do so please take some time to go to the website look at some of the other shows that they have to offer see if any of them suit your tastes we have everything from fantasy baseball chat to wonderful talks about history and whiskey we have a wonderful sci-fi and uh, horror show that's coming up the uh, reapers that's coming up a little bit later these are all really great things really great content and you know we couldn't do anything without ilogic behind us so again i cannot thank them enough I thank all of you so much for taking the time again to watch my show, and I will see you again in two weeks, all right? I'll be around here for just a little bit if anybody has any questions. Otherwise, we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. So, who has questions? <laughs> I'm glad. It's super, well, you know, centerpieces can be so much easier to do and so much, you know, fun. It's not hard at all to do these things. And I think that one thing that is important is once you get over this intimidation idea of just being fearful of what looks good and what matches, you are hands down. It's, you know, once you have those colors. So I'm, I'm glad that that's going to be awesome. Other questions? Well, great. Well, thanks again, everybody, for watching my show. Catch me again in, in two weeks. Um, and then also, you can always follow me on Facebook and on Twitter. I have a lot of the, uh, you know, I'll always be posting a lot of, like, different trips and tricks and stuff like that for the things that I do out the week. Um, and thanks again. Oh, good. I love my bang being picked about advice and stuff. It makes my day. <laughs> Thank you.